All right, here we go. Episode number eight, Embrace the Suck. Let's talk about it. So this is going to be a quick episode, and we're going to talk about a quote that I learned very, very well my time in the SEAL team and in other jobs outside of the military, and that is embrace the suck or the suck factor. You know, when things aren't going well and you're grinding through TPS reports or whatever you're doing, every job has it, right? Every job has some level of suck factor. I don't care what you do. There is some part of it that you're not going to like. And I think I had reached my limit uh, at uh, the first SEAL team that I was at. Um, I was stationed at a a SEAL team called SDV Team 1, SEAL Delivery Vehicle Team 1. And like the name suggests, we specialized in riding in a SEAL delivery vehicle. Now, this vehicle didn't cruise around on uh, on land but underwater and it basically it was a small torpedo like uh underwater uh, vehicle i don't even call it a vehicle it's just a it's just a, looks like a big fat torpedo and you sit inside of this and there's uh there's a pilot and a navigator in the front and they use forward looking sonar to drive this submersible and then up to I would say up to four guys, but we've we've shoved six. One, two, three, four. If we've shoved six in the back before? Yeah, four. Yeah, we've done four in the back. Um, and those are the guys kind of the the that either go over the beach when you get to the missionary or do whatever is needed when you're whenever you get there. So basically this it's a long range underwater reconnaissance vehicle. Super stealthy. It's gotta be the sneakiest mission out there. And typically, you launch, well, almost always, you launch from a submarine, from a dry deck shelter on the back of a submarine. And uh, if some of you guys just Google uh, SDV, SEAL Delivery Vehicle, you can see all the pictures. Um, it, like I said, it's just basically a big, fat-looking torpedo that it has um, has oxygen on the inside. You know, it has scuba tanks uh, on the inside, has ballast tanks uh, to for the pilot and navigator to, um, to hover the boat underwater, to dive, to go to the surface, everything a submarine would have, but it's the, the suck factor really is that it's wet inside. Um, it's not a dry submarine. Um, and so you sit in this thing and the idea for the, the SDV, the seal delivery vehicle is it transports things and people and equipment, long range underwater, underwater. Um, and so the submarine can go off the coast of wherever the mission is and deploy the SDV with, uh, with seals in it for whatever mission that they're doing. And, uh, many times the SDV would, would, uh, get close to shore and then the guys in the back would get out and go and do whatever they're going to do, whether they're placing sensors or, uh, doing some reconnaissance or going actually over the beach into, uh, into that country and doing whatever. And then coming back to the, the STV and then getting on all their gear and going back to the sub. 
Um, as you can imagine, it's quite an operation. It takes a lot of logistics and a lot of manpower to pull off something like that. Um, at the STV team, we had a number of, uh, well, not just a number, but I, I think 30 to 40 support personnel divers that would help from getting the STV, uh, out of the dry deck shelter when, so basically the submarine comes to a hover underwater, like 60 feet of water. And then there's a whole process of flooding up that dry deck shelter and then opening up the door to the outside ocean and pulling the STV out with all the seals already inside. And then you re- release from the submarine and then go off and do your mission and however long that is, and then come back uh, rendezvous with the submarine uh, hook up to it. And then the divers kind of pull the STV back into this cradle on the back of the submarine and then put it into the dry deck shelter. And then, uh, then the dry deck shelter, um, floods itself uh of water so it it pushes all the water out and then at that point you get out and then slowly make your way back into the submarine and every bit of that that process is has got to say it's miserable from getting everything ready to getting on your gear whether you're you're diving a mark 16 semi closed rebreather or you're breathing off of some other uh, closed circuit type apparatus, you know, just getting up into the STV and getting situated. It, it's, you know, whether you're wearing a dry suit or a wetsuit or a semi dry suit, it is a whole process with all your gear on and everything like that. So it's, you know, it's, you guys see all these pictures and how cool it is and all that kind of stuff. And man, it, the suck factor with the STV is just how long you could be underwater. Um, because we, we typically, you know, you're, you're not, you're not really going deep. And so you're not really concerned about, you know, nitrogen buildup in your blood. So, um, if you, you know, if you're diving, you know, 20, 30 feet or less, you can go for a very, very long time until you really run out of air. And on board the STV, there's there's quite a bit of air to breathe before you switch over to whatever closed circuit or semi-closed circuit breathing apparatus you have on. And so a lot of times you would leave the submarine in the STV and then you'd be cruising for, it could be hours, uh, to the mission area to do whatever you were going to do. And that amount of time underwater just sitting there in the pitch black it is it's pretty mind-numbing um i can remember many times uh the guy next to me uh falling asleep you know we we played tic-tac-toe underwater i mean just it just take forever to get there and uh some of the times during the training for this type of mission you would you would eventually have a a new pilot up there. I mean, somebody that just is learning how to, to drive this thing. And so you're in the back and you don't really have any control over, uh, where this thing goes, right? You're literally sitting backwards in this, in the STV, uh, and the guys up front are obviously sitting forwards. And the hardest part about having a new pilot up front is his depth control, um, he would be cruising along underwater and he might kind of loot what we would call lose the bubble and, and start to go a little bit too deep, too fast. 
and there is a problem when that happens. And if you can imagine, like when you dive into a pool or you go into water, you feel your ears kind of squeeze. Well, if you can't clear your ears fast enough, then you'll get an ear squeeze. And I can remember many, many times just just screaming underwater because I couldn't clear my ears and uh, and it was just so miserable. And then they need to overcorrect and come up really, really fast. And then, then you'd have some relief in your ears. Then you'd go right back down. And so you'd get this bobbing effect and your ears would just, oh man, you feel like they were just bleeding constantly. And you'd be pissed back there, this new guy trying to figure out how to drive the STV with you in the back. Um, and so there's some inherent dangers, uh, to, to that sort of mission. And typically all of them were just long, long time underwater. Uh, I think my longest dive underwater was 13 or 14 hours, uh, getting into, uh, the STV in the, inside the submarine, then locking out of the submarine and then, and then going on the mission and then getting there and doing whatever you're going to do and then coming all the way back and then rendezvousing the submarine and, you know, that takes a while and then hooking up, getting in and then flooding down the, the dry deck shelter, then getting out of the STV and then finally getting inside and holy crap, that sucks. <laughs> and do that day after day after day. And so um, I, I was convinced that uh, the semi-closed circuit rebreather that we were diving called the Mark 16, and I don't, I'm sure they've upgraded since. I was convinced that this thing was going to kill me at some point. Now, this this uh, semi-closed circuit rebreather, right? So there's a difference. A closed circuit rebreather, it doesn't it doesn't emit any bubbles, at least on its own. A, a semi-closed circuit, uh, the Mark 16, it does emit a little bit of bubbles, but w- what you can do with it is you can go deep with it. Um, whereas a uh, closed circuit rebreather, you're breathing 100% oxygen, and so you can't go very deep. Uh, you, you run the risk of oxygen toxicity, and so you got to stay relatively shallow with that. But with the Mark 16, you can, you can go pretty deep. Um, it has a mixture of of uh, what's called diluent and uh, oxygen, and it it basically regulates that for you. It'll take away the oxygen and and add just it adds what's called diluent, and so you're not breathing as much oxygen when you go deeper, and then when you go shallower, it'll add oxygen. Well, if it doesn't do that for you, um, you will just pass out and you will die. Um, I was convinced that this, cause basically we're, we're wearing what looks like on the back, you know, what people in, they go into space wear on their backpack. It's regulating everything for you. But we're, what we're dealing with is the pressure. Uh, and that, that's the bad part about, uh, diving, you know, the pressure affects everything. So I was convinced because I had, uh, a couple of these marks, uh, Mark 16 full face mask, uh, rebreathers that, man, there was something that would go wrong with the computer and then I would have to manually regulate the amount of oxygen I was getting. And that really sucks because uh, this little hand computer tells you and you have these little flashing lights that flash up in your in your face mask. And it seemed like it was always telling me like something's going wrong. <laughs> and eventually I'm just like, man, this sucks. <laughs> and he's kind of like, well, what are you going to do? You just got to deal with it. Um, and I can remember this, this one particular training mission we were doing 
And the whole idea with it was as we were trying to find these underwater cables with uh, the side scan sonar that we were using on the STVs, basically um, scanning the bottom of the ocean, looking for cables, and then we were going we to blow them up um, with these little cable cutting uh, charges. Pretty simple idea. Anyway, so we're out there. Uh, we, we find what we think is the spot where we're supposed to do these things. And um, for whatever reason, I was the one that had to uh, get out of the STV. After we found the cables, basically they laid the STV on the bottom of the seafloor. And then uh, one of us, which was me, got out of the STV, uh, unplugged from from the air source, and then find the cable and put the cable on a uh, cable cutting charge on there and then, and then cut it and then come back and then we go home. Um, so we find the cables, uh, we, uh, the pilot navigate land the STV and then we give the signal. Okay. Uh, give me the cable cutting charges. I'm going to get out. And the cables were about, uh, about 15 feet away from the STV. And I can remember I was diving with, I won't say his name, but with somebody that didn't particularly like this type of diving. And, you know, he was an older gentleman and I had a lot of respect for him. And he was pretty upfront about, man, I don't dig doing this. <laughs> and so I said, hey, man, I'll I'll go and, and you know, get out of the SUV and go do this thing. Um, just the fact that he was in the back of the SUV uh, out there doing this was, was, uh, it was huge for this guy anyway. So we find these cables and you know, the mission has already gone really long because, uh, you know, it just took a really long time to get, get out of the submarine, get away from the submarine and get to the spot. And then it took us an extra long time to find these, what we thought were the cables. So we're already running way behind schedule. Um, anyway, the STV is on the bottom of the seafloor and, so I climb out of the STV and I, it's like you're, I, I don't know what it's like being on the surface of the moon, but I imagine it's like this because nobody had ever stepped foot. I know for a fact in, on the seafloor where we were at and I, you know, we were, I don't know, a uh, hundred feet underwater, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little less, but it's just pitch black. Of course you can't see anything. And at all times you think, you know, a big shark is just going to gobble you up. And so, so I get out of the STV, I grab, um, these cable cutting charges. Just, it's just a little simple device that goes over a cable and, and, uh, it, it's able to cut through, uh, I think three or four inch cable, something like that. Anyway, um, I could be wrong on that, how thick it is, but, um, so I grab this, the bag of charges and, what I have to do to go to the cables, I have to disconnect my um, my air source from the STV because you can breathe off the inter- internal air tanks of the STV. And I have to go, I have to switch to my Mark 16 backpack, which is going to regulate my air for me, which is a standard procedure. Um, you turn this little knob on the front of your face mask and, and then you disconnect from the boat and then you're on your own internal air source. So I turned the knob on my face mask and went on, uh, went on my primary air and, and disconnected from the STV and started walking towards the cables. Um, so I got to the cables, 
I put this cable cutting uh, device on the cable and what do you know the first one doesn't work of course I go to the second one that cuts it like halfway and everybody I look over and I can just barely make out the SDV in in the in the distance like I said it's only like 15 feet away but still it's super super dark we're using lights obviously nobody can see us underwater so we can use lights and stuff like that you're not trying to be sneaky 100 feet underwater in the middle of the night um and i could see and everybody's so funny everybody in the stv is just looking out at me like dude i'm glad i'm not doing that <laughs> um because you imagine i'm i'm weighted down so i can walk on the bottom of the, uh, the seafloor and stuff like that so anyway the third charge and the last one i have happens to work and it cuts this cable and i'm like great thank goodness man get done and as i stand up and I look at the SDV, my face mask squeezes onto my face and I can't, I can't breathe in. I can breathe out a little bit, but I cannot take in any, any, any breath of air whatsoever. Right? So if you can imagine, uh, probably many of you haven't dove a full face mask, but it's like those ninja masks that you, you see out there for snorkeling, that sort of thing. Um, and your face is completely covered by this glass shield and the air is pumped in through these two hoses. Anyway, I can't get any oxygen and I don't know what to do. Um, I reach over and I push these two buttons that are on the side of the back of my backpack and I hear them activate, but it, it doesn't relieve the pressure. And I, you know, it's really weird because this has never happened to me before. And I remember thinking, I'm like, well, this is it. This is where I die and the Mark 16 kills me. Right here, I'm going to, you know, <laughs> 15 feet away from everybody. And I'm just going to suffocate right here and pass out. And so I had two choices. Um, for a split second, I was about to freak out and just swim as fast as I can back to the SDV. And uh, try to get to the primary air source, or I guess it would be my secondary air source, um, and plug back into the high-pressure hose, uh, which is dangling off of one side of my Mark 16, which well, hopefully would fix everything. Now, nobody knows what's going on. I mean, I can barely make out what's going on, let alone what they would figure out what's going on with me. And I remember telling myself, hey, this totally sucks. Um, but you got to calm down and you just have to walk slowly back to the SDV. Um, cause I remember I had gotten like a half a breath in and thankfully I wasn't like swimming or, or working too hard. I was just fiddling around with these little devices to cut the cable. But anyway, so I walk slowly back to the SDV. Unbe you know, the guys in the SDV were doing their own thing. They other than just staring at me walking back, I was in complete panic inside my head. But I was forcing my body not to move faster than I should because I didn't want to burn up oxygen. I I felt if I just flipped out and just started scrambling, I wasn't going to move much faster because I had all this gear on and just walking methodically back. And 15 feet isn't very far away, okay? I mean, it, it doesn't seem like that far, but 
with all of the things going on, you know, 100 feet underwater, you know, at night and this, you know, this thing happening uh, to me, it, it was pretty, it was pretty hairy. So I walked slowly back and in the, it felt like a full minute, but in the probably 20 seconds, it took me to slowly walk back to the STV. I was thinking, okay, so I have that high pressure hose that I need to somehow find uh, and reach into the STV and pull, you know, plug this thing together and hopefully that fixes everything. Otherwise, um, the emergency procedure, if your full face mask goes down is you have to take off your mask. You have to take off your mask and you have to grab a secondary air source that is hanging inside the STV and breathe off of that. And that sucks, right? You're taking off, basically you're ripping off your mask and you're, you're grabbing onto, um, uh, regulator and shoving your mouth and breathing and you're, and you're kind of freaking out. And I did not want to do that. Uh, and I sure my partner would have flipped out if he saw me do that and you can't see uh, anyway. And so that's emergency procedure. And that is, uh, that's totally sucks. So anyway, I walk slowly back to the STV, just in my mind, just keeping everything just as slow as I could without freaking out, but not going too slow. Cause I want to get back there. Right. Um, and I reach over with my right hand and I grab the high pressure hose that happened to be right where it was supposed to be. And I reach inside the STV and grab the other end of the high pressure hose, the female end. And, uh, I don't know if you guys remember uh, Christmas vacation with Griswold and, uh, I plug that thing together, like lighting up a Christmas tree, like, yeah, because <laughs> that was it, man. That was all the breath I had. I, I probably another 10 seconds from passing out and there was no chance I was going to ditch my ant mask and try to get that secondary air source. Um, and boom, my mask filled up with air and everything was just fine. And after I took a couple of breaths, I just stood there for a little bit and my, uh, my dive partner who was sitting in the back, taps me on the shoulder and he signals like, Hey man, let's go. What are you doing? Just hanging out. You know, what are you doing? You know, peeing in your wetsuit or what? <laughs> and I just looked up at him and of course you can't say anything like, dude, I just about, uh, you know, I just about drowned over here and I slowly got back in the SUV and we commenced our three, four mile ride back to go find the submarine. And, you know, that whole story, you know, that was the suck factor for me. And that's pretty extreme. Um, sometimes, you know, as, uh, as I said in the beginning with that quote, embrace the suck. Every, every single job, I don't care. I don't care what you do, even if you absolutely love what you're doing, there is certain parts of it that are going to absolutely suck. You know, uh, whether it's, you got to do that spreadsheet, you got to fill out that TPS report, you got to do certain things when you get into work, procedural things that are just mind numbing and they suck. Um, I've always found that when you run away from that kind of stuff and you know, you try to go the opposite way and you, you just ignore it or whatever. It gets worse. 
um, because you don't get any better at it. And it, it's just something required you have to do. Every job's going to have that. So, you know, if you're thinking your next job that you're going to go to, it's going to be all amazing and you're going to love every bit of a bit of it. Well, you know, that's just not reality. There's going to be some things you got to do. And when you ignore those things and push them off and, and you don't do that TPS report that you just freaking don't want to write or that email you don't want to write or that term paper you don't want to write, well, things typically don't go very well. So embrace the suck is, you know, you just press into those kind of things and do them even better, you know, do them, do them with everything you have. Um, you know, for me, you know, writing the STV year after year after year when I was at the team, you know, it, it sucked, but you know, we just, you just got better at it and you got better at things that were going to save your life, right? Staying calm underwater, all that kind of stuff. And you, and you learn a little bit from it and you're going to be in those jobs where it's like, wow, I don't want to get up and do that inventory. I don't want to uh, ship those things out. I don't want to even go to work today because my boss sucks. Well, you know, once you do the opposite of what most people do, you know, most people avoid that kind of thing. Why don't you press in and get to know that awful boss? Figure out how what, how he t- he or she ticks, and that's going to make your life a lot better. It doesn't seem like it, but it is. You know that spreadsheet you you don't want to fill out, or that report you don't want to write. All those kind of things that just suck. I'm naming a bunch of paperwork because I hate paperwork. It's miserable. Um, press into it and just you know, hey, you got a bunch of bills you got to pay, and you've just been putting it off. Well. Sit down and just start paying it, paying them, whatever, it, whatever you can, right? I found it that you feel better from it, um, even though it kind of sucks at the time. You don't want to face it. I think facing these things head on is the best option every single time, without a doubt. I was convinced that Mark 16 was going to kill me. Uh, it almost did, but uh, I learned how to manage that and manage the stress of it. And not avoid it, right? Uh, and so that's a, that's what I recommend to you. You know that that little fun story is, you know, in that quote, "Embrace the suck." That's what you got to do on a daily basis. Um, every day, that find something that's just you, you know you avoid sometimes. So um, apply that to your life in some way. Take take something out of that story and 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 apply it and uh, em- embrace that miserable thing that is your job or in your school or that teacher you hate or that classmate that you can't stand, you know, like I said, do the opposite. Most people, you know, turn away, ignore or avoid the sucky things in life. Well, why don't you do the opposite of that? Why don't you embrace it? And I think you might find that, uh, it's, it's a lot better if you do that. That's it. See you on the next episode.